Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt Santi. That's Tiffany Pearsall. That's me. I don't Hello. know what she was just doing there, but um, oh, it asked me if it, are we okay to record? We're not oh, recording. And you like, gave verbal approval. Okay, sure. all right. Um, I've just finally reached a point where that doesn't startle me. The mm. little voice that tells you we're recording. Mm. Um, I installed Zoom today is where I'm at in that process. Oh, well, how nice. <laughs> Gosh. Anyway, Tiffany hasn't been here for a long time. And I'm mm-hmm. so excited that you're here. It's been a minute. Yeah. Yay. I have, uh, I've been living some life, man. I got two tiny kids. Yep. I got a new program-ish. Yeah. I got a new building. Yeah. It's just like pedal to the metal. Yeah. And I miss my nerds. Yeah. I miss, my miss you too. Yeah. We'll figure something mm-hmm. out. Anyway, we're, <laughs> we're just going to look at each other. We're here to reminisce for a moment <laughs> um, and talk about things. Uh, yeah, because Tiff, you were the very first episode. You were my very first co-host on the episode, which wouldn't have happened. I mean, the first episode wouldn't have happened had anyone else been my host, co-host, because I forgot to hit record. But you were doing a double record and you saved the day. There's memory this lane. This was before um, Zoom was used yes. every day for everything. Yeah, we were. I think it was Skype. There was a Skype. Yeah, we, we had the Skype, Skype. There was a plug-in. And the I plug-in. I experienced the whole interview yes. without being recorded yeah. many times. So it was just a rule <laughs> that you always record. Always record. All right. Well, anyway, that was... Uh, that was a pivotal you. episode, Heather. The, my I'm, first episode was a yeah. pivotal episode. <laughs> yeah. For me, yeah, for sure. For you? Episode two was pivotal for me. Mm-hmm. I'm still building that college, y'all. It's happening. Good. Good. It's happening. Yes. Perfect. I um, would love to teach at your college. Yeah. Come join us. Well, you don't even have to join. That's the whole point. Right. Right. I have to keep the day job, but I would love to also yeah. teach at your college. Yeah. 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 Perfect. Um, okay. So we're going to talk about an article. Um, how do you, pre- would you say Ypsilanti? Is that how you pronounce the? I was going to ask you. I, th- I would, I would say, say Ypsilanti. Ypsilanti. Okay. Let's so the article is called What I Learned from the Ypsilanti Prairie Preschool Project, A Teacher's Reflections, written by a teacher in the project who happens to be Louise Derman Sparks. Amazing. Yeah. And so this article kind of turns some things on their head. Yeah. Um, in terms of the Prairie Preschool Project. So let me just read this. Our quote's going to be just a description, a brief description of what the Perry Preschool Project is 
in case you've never heard of that before. Um, the Perry Preschool Project ran from 1962 to 1967 in Michigan, I think is where Ypsilanti is. I'm going to keep stumbling over the word. Um, uh, the Perry Preschool Project was an early effort in the USA to explore the potential of early childhood education for fostering the development and school success of children in families living in great poverty. The three and four-year-old African-American children attending the Perry Preschool Project uh, in Michigan, most of their families lived in a housing project in the African-American segregated neighborhood across from the segregated primary public school, uh, public primary school, which housed the Perry Preschool. Um, he I, I, I'm, I'm hesitating now because I was going to look something up and I didn't. Heads of families included two parents, single parents, and in a few cases, grandparents. Funding first came from local, state, and national governmental agencies. One requirement of funding was that the children had to have, quote, an, an intelligence quotient, IQ, in the also, quote, and language of, of the original study, the educable retarded range as defined by the Michigan Department of Ed Instruction at the time. A control group of children was also set up with demographics parallel to those of the children attending the preschool. I was going to look up what educable retarded really mm, kind yeah. of meant, and I didn't. Um, but essentially, <laughs> this is why we need a third person on the podcast so that uh, the conversation continue while somebody looks something <laughs> up. Um, so, so this study is, is used a lot. Um, I've heard it being used in terms of advocating for child-directed programming, more child-directed programming, and um, also often heard it as uh, a cited study for people who are trying to make the case for investing in early childhood. Um, mm -hmm. And and James Heckman, who does a lot of, um, <clears throat> I'll say advocacy, although I don't really like his advocacy, <laughs> but that's what he's essentially trying to do um, in trying to get private sector interested in putting mm -hmm. money into programs mm -hmm. for young children. Um, so it's it's been used as, um sort of a rationale for more universal pre-k for one thing Definitely. and just um that investment model of talking about young children that um you know they're not really worth much to us now but if we put a lot of money into them now we'll get return on economic investments later in their lives so anyway that's my uh my dump my quote dump <laughs> yeah, love it. Um, so anyway, what this article really talks about is Louise Derman Sparks' actual experiences as a teacher in the project and how some of the important stuff wasn't measured or taken into consideration with the data collection and reporting and um, talks about some differences between what the administration was saying was happening um, and the data the administration was presenting and what was what the teachers were really doing in the classrooms. Can I tell you a story now? Please. I beg you, please say something. <laughs> when <laughs> I'm a you know me, I'm a like, let's circle back because it yeah. takes Tiffany a half yes. step to yeah. get there. Uh when I was a senior in college before I had applied to um teaching school. 
before I applied to get my credentials and all that. And like, what is life? I'm about to leave the education system. I don't know what I'm supposed to do after that. You're supposed to work or whatever. What am I going to do? I volunteered a lot in schools and nannied kids and was and taught college kids too on the side. And I found myself sitting in my driveway listening to a Terry Gross interview with a participant from the Perry Preschool Project. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what it was at the time. And I cannot find this interview. Oh. Does it exist in the world? I don't know. Yeah. But sitting in my driveway listening to this interview, I couldn't get out of the car because I was just like, I have what this is incredible. Mm-hmm. And the child that had attended said, this was the first time an adult in my life believed in me, not because they had to, but because I was a worthy human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was when I was like, I guess I got to teach. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's amazing. Um, and that's part of what, uh, you know, Louise Derman Sparks talked about is that mm-hmm. the teachers went into this believing children were already competent. There were disagreements among the administrators and planners and the teachers about, Mm -hmm. you know, the administration, she says really was coming from a deficit model and the idea that um, primarily because they were black families, there was cultural deprivation in their homes that was leading to their low IQ scores. Um, Barf. Right. Come a long way. We have, some of us have. (laughs) Some of academia. Yeah. I mean, I think I think the deficit model still is the model for any kind of parent engagement in most programs and a lot of teaching young children that um, we need to teach parents to be whiter parents, (laughs) whiter parents, Um, whiter, richer parents. (laughs) Um, But anyway, uh, and and the teachers really came in with, we're going to, there's going to be child led stuff. There's going to be adult led Mm -hmm. stuff, but it's all going to come from the lens of these children are already competent. They're already powerful learners. And if we spend time observing for them, observing them and planning for them individually, even when we're doing adult led things, it's led by what we see from individual children. Um, We give them a chance to prove that that's the kind of learner they are and the kind of human they are. Um, And big focus on social emotional. What I, what I see is Perry, the Perry project being used as um, rationale. We say, well, we have research that says high quality early childhood education leads to all these good outcomes. Um, And by good outcomes, you mean academic outcomes. Academic outcomes, um, or they don't go to prison and they're better workers. Yeah. That's the other. Those are the, those are the outcomes that this, this is used for. And then we open universal pre-k or we use this in our early childhood programs and focus just on the academics and um forget that the big what what louise german sparks is telling us is that the the real impact was the relationships the teachers had with children and the families Mm -hmm. and the way that they worked with families and the way that they tried to support the stresses that the families were in and that's why we get Mm -hmm. and and that those academic outcomes waned at third grade yeah um according to to this their longitudinal longitudinal study which i think followed the children for 40 years or until they were 40 something like that um, yeah. 
but it's so it's used to be a rationale for early academics, but that's not really what happened in this, no. according to this teacher who was in the daily work. And um, that was part of the um, part of the argument that she made in this article was that there are so many social impacts of having this like intertwined educational care system for families and for teachers mm-hmm. for the kids ultimately yeah that haven't been documented in the in the way that they need to be right i'm trying to find that um the section where she talks about uh, the other the other thing that that she really throws um Oh, there's a whole section that calls what the longitudinal research did not consider. But the other part that I want to mention before we jump further in is that the other idea is that this program used the high scope curriculum. And so, yes, like a pre-developed curriculum. And that's how it, it comes to be used as an argument for early academic programs for young children when in fact the high scope curriculum hadn't been developed yet until like 12 years Mm -hmm. after the mm-hmm. the Perry project ended and that the curriculum that the, was used in the program was developed by the teachers and their observations of the children and their discussions with each other. Yeah. Their reflective, <laughs> reflective practice. Mm-hmm. They had these lovely Friday planning sessions together where they would think about each child and what do mm-hmm. they need to bring into the unit. And this one likes airplanes. So let's think about yeah. airport play to encourage dramatic play. And yeah. It's everything that we know now is so important that without that lens at the time, you know, the hindsight problem. Right. But it seems like we're still fighting. Like some of us have Mm -hmm. this lens that it's about relationships with families, relationships with children, good working relationships with colleagues, Mm -hmm. um, focus on the individuals in our space, um, reflective practice and intentional teaching. But I think that's still a hard sell for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, this this program was also half day. So it wasn't like a our typical childcare setting where the kids are there all day. Um, and morning is learning time and afternoon is free for all, all that stuff. Um, so there are, it, it can't be directly translated, I guess, into most of our programs that are full day programs mm-hmm. that are also providing the public good of childcare for working parents. Um, right. So that I, next piece of, yeah, like, it's not, it's not just about, yeah. What am I trying to say? Cause it's not about teaching the parents how to parent. It's about like, Hey, guess what? We're a community and yeah. I can support you in these ways and you can support me in these ways yeah. and together. We like build up this child. Yeah. I love the know? story she told of her first home visit and she's a young teacher and she had it all outlined and they were going to sit at the table and, and she was going to kind of teach this parent and she walks in, you know, a child lets her in the mom's at the stove and says, Oh shit, she's here. (laughs) Like she had (laughs) forgotten they were coming. And so Louise Derman Sparks instead puts away her pre-planned visit and just like works with the kids while mom's making dinner and, and, and hangs around at dinner and just has these, sort of personal, not, um, not her agenda conversation, but right. just being part of the family's life for that evening. Um, mm-hmm. and how different that, pers- what a different perspective that gave her. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I would absolutely be the parent who forgot the visit and then comes oh, in front of the teacher. <laughs> yeah. The visiting. No team. doubt about it. Yeah. <laughs> For yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to know why the research research stopped. Like, why don't, why didn't they, it's just this one group that they followed. What about the next year and the next year when they refine the system? What about when they unleashed the curriculum and like, well, so there were five years of the Perry preschool project. Yeah. Um, so I imagine that means it wasn't only one group. Only when it's, Yeah. Um, so maybe they did. I don't know. I know that they, whatever children they were looking at, they followed for 40 years or something like that. Yeah. Um, I know that longitudinal studies like that are so incredibly hard to fund and maintain. Right. So that's what I would, I would guess is that it was a funding issue or they could see they were getting the results they wanted to get. And so they didn't continue Mm -hmm. to see if that sort of stood the test of a different group Uh, or, but I think, I mean, like beyond just Perry preschool too. Oh, we hold up these longitudinal studies to such an extent. Well, like, can we do more of them? Right. Yeah. Um, but they I won't mean, inform our practice until 40 years from now. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe yeah. they are happening and we were just, but also looking at it. And when it's... I, I, I've used the Perry preschool project. I've held that yeah, up same. as a, as a standard um, or a, a sample of a good program but it's Mm -hmm. however many years ago 63 to 67 was that's a long time ago yeah we've learned a different world and with all new brain development information (laughs) and um but it is Mm -hmm. sort of amazing and encouraging that a lot of what they did find fits what we know now yeah still based on more current research yeah absolutely oh i I, was gonna say something and i lost it oh i really appreciated So this is page 102 of the article in the section about what it didn't measure, Um, the section called teacher attitudes. And she says, any curriculum and methods are only as good as the teachers who implement them. Mm -hmm. Um, When we, we tend now to think about, well, if we have this curriculum that everybody has to use, then it's foolproof and it's teacher proof. And we can, we can know what children are learning because we're all doing the same things, Um, Mm -hmm. which isn't true. Yeah, it's um, absolutely not. Anecdotally, true. I can confirm that. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure that that there's probably some um, confirmation. But she continues to say the best curriculum and teaching methods are subverted when teachers hold uncovered or unexamined prejudices, misconceptions, or ignorance toward an aspect of a child's multiple identities. Um, and what I didn't connect at the beginning was that this was part of this was happening in the original, you know, the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. of the 60s mm-hmm. um during segregation so it would have been hard for teachers to have had a whole lot of opportunity to think about their unexamined biases right um or were just being faced with the idea that maybe they had to think about some of those biases mm-hmm. um but I think, um, and she lists several categories of identity. I think that there's people working with young children who have a bias against children in general. Oh, definitely. <laughs> and uh, they're not going to have the success with the curriculum that yeah, a teacher with a different image of the child might have. I've got two 
divergent ways my brain okay. is going right now. Um, oh, I just picked that word because it's in the quote. There oh. on page 96, there's um something that she says that ties in well. These divergent viewpoints about the children and families made for some key differences between what the teachers actually did with the children and families and what demonstrators wrote about the program. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a really, uh, that comes down to the like admin versus teachers versus parents trichotomy. Yes. (laughs) Trichotomy works for me. Trichotomy. That that like depending on who you are and what you're using this information for you slant it so differently right and everything that we have about Perry preschool project in documentation form until this article for me and that initial mm-hmm. interview um is so administrator heavy it's so academia heavy and it's mm-hmm. like these are the things that we have used our heads to determine in this very scientific way Mm -hmm. but we're missing this whole sociology anthropology side of things that's like well where's the community where's the heart of this yeah and that's what teachers are so good at combining those two things yeah and the so rarely have time to do it exactly that's (laughs) that's you know that's kind of why I, I wanted to bring in that this was a half day program with afternoon home visits and every family got a weekly home visit. And then on Friday, those teachers got to sit together and do their planning. And that's not most people's real world experience. Mm-hmm. So it, but, but it's, it's one of those things where someone might say, well, I, that wouldn't work in the real world. So I'm not even going to consider it. But um, if you really believe it, you can find ways to include pieces, even if you can't do it fully like they did. If mm-hmm. you really value the same kinds of things that these teachers mm-hmm. talked about valuing, you can find some ways, ways of bringing pieces of it yeah. in, even if you can't do it all. Right. And you can justify bringing those pieces in to administrators. Yeah. In that way too. Like, Hey, I need this planning time. I need yeah to be able to meet with families. I need, I need that. We need to be able to talk as teachers. We need to be able to get to know individuals, individual mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to find, there was something where she talks about, cause the, the administrators took on a very qualitative approach. I mean, that's what you do with, with most research. You try to find the numbers right. um, and the things that can be easily measured. And she talks about somewhere in here, that even though quantitative pieces of a, of the project couldn't be as easily measured, they could be investigated and wondered about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nobody. I would did argue that. couldn't be as easily measured under the current science-heavy lens. Uh, yes, of yeah. educational academia. Yeah. Okay, say more about that. Well, we focus so much on these p-values, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like everything is statistics right now in this effort to validate the science of our field. We've forgotten that there are entire humanistic fields like sociology Mm -hmm. that exist with subjective data because they train researchers to work with subjective data Uh that somehow as educators, as an educational field, we're like, hmm. That can't be valid. Yeah. But really it has to be. Yeah. In order for full social impacts to be realized. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I experienced that as uh, 
you know, an instructor in higher education, mm-hmm. um, in early childhood education, we're accredited by an accredited bo- crediting body with some letters in its name. <laughs> some letters in its name. Um, I'll just say any Nacy. I don't. I don't. I've said yeah. it before. Anyway, it was funnier the other way. Anyway, eat graham crackers while we do this. Please eat graham crackers. Cracker, cracker, hello, <laughs> cracker, hello, cracker. That's me Steve being a talker. just did that with coffee this morning. <laughs> anyway, I have no idea what I was what I was saying. As an instructor of oh yeah, higher we, education, you know they only they have these standards of professional development that we're supposed to be able to prove our students are um, uh, competent to to do. Um, so we all ha- we all do the same assignments. We have six assignments that every campus in the state does, and that's how we measure whether our students are ready to to demonstrate that they can, you know, do all these standards. And it's not teaching. Sorry, that was a mouthful. It, right, it affects that. the way we teach. Then because mm-hmm. we're only looking at it's you know there's five classes that we all have to do the same thing in um and and it's uh it it doesn't include all the things i experience in the classroom with my students and and all the things that we talk about and discuss and the ways i see them working on these things um so i think yeah that's pretty widespread and i'm glad you brought that glad you brought the that into it i also want to talk about funding man yeah okay so looking at a project like this i understand how a teacher is like as a teacher in the program you're like my experience wasn't documented Mm -hmm. i'm documenting it now who's to say that in order to get this project to happen in the first place i'm gonna have to write a grant that says i'm gonna prove this and this and this and we're Mm -hmm. gonna measure these specific things and I'm asking for this grant from the National Science Foundation to measure that terrible thing. Um, educable. Yes. Are, like, yeah. who's to say that's not where their primary funding came from that allowed this project to happen in the first place? Yeah. I'd happily write a report about that as a trade-off for having this huge social impact. Right. That to me is like, cool, give me $500,000 to pull this off for a year. Yep. I'll write that thing and we'll make a huge impact on these yeah. lives. So that, yeah. that to me, like the administrator is always viewed as this, like, Oh, the administrators didn't get the full picture. Yeah. Administrators got the funding. The administrators made this happen for five years. The administrators yeah. produced a highly lucrative curriculum from it. Like uh-huh. eventually, eventually. <laughs> and like not to say, oh, we got to give these guys the credit, even yeah. though you know they didn't realize the full social impact. There's that side of it that I I think doesn't come up very often. That like, it took a lot of money to make this happen. That's true. Yeah. And to pay people to pay that for teachers uh-huh. to be there full time for three hours a day with no school on Fridays. Yeah. Ooh, that's a lot of money. <laughs> And I bet it was a, a hustle of who, like, what do I need to research to get this last to get sure. me over the, yep, I will review your unit curriculum, uh-huh. like, <laughs> yeah. to make this dream happen at all. Somebody had to have the dream in the first place. That's so. true. 
That's true. That's important to think about. Yeah, it is. Um, and we're not saying that this wasn't a good project that we're acknowledging Absolutely. that it Hugely did important. have great project. Um, value to the field and value to the children and families and teachers mm -hmm. who were working mm -hmm. in it. Um, I think all that, that she's saying in this article, which I should say was published in 2016 in the Journal of Pedagogy. I forgot mm -hmm. that at the beginning. Um, <laughs> is that everything that happened wasn't recorded, isn't included in that data. Um, mm -hmm. There's some mismatches in the storytelling. Um, mm -hmm. It's just sort of a perspective, not mm -hmm. a everyone should just stop thinking about the Perry Preschool Project. It's no. offering a new way to think about the mm -hmm. Perry Preschool Project. I would put the Perry Preschool Project on my list of schools that every educator should know about. Yeah. Oh not yeah, that we were I'm gonna a, talk about this. Yeah, yeah. Not that I'm a, a, like, you have to learn all of the history to get there. What is that? Uh, nope, not enough coffee yet in the day to explain mm. that philosophy you know like junior grade books you have to read the greats oh. to understand human history at this point uh -huh, so right um perry preschool project is on my list of preschools that you need to know historically to understand the context context sure. of what yeah i'd agree with that i'd agree with that Are there so others you... on your list of schools they have to know about mm -hmm. or projects people should know about mm-hmm I mean, Bev Boss, of course. Yeah. That whole thing is is a given. Oh, to me, Roseville is like, you have to go there. Yeah. And live it. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. have to be at that place at one point in your life. I need hopefully to. Yes. For early sure. in your career. <laughs> yes. Well, it's too late for that part. But <laughs> <clears throat> um, uh, I didn't learn even hear about that until maybe 10 years ago. Oh, and I've been doing this for 30 years. I know um, that's I don't know how I lucked out. That was the first professional development I ever attended in my cow. entire career. Wow. Was two days straight with that boss. That's amazing. How? So jealous. I don't know. That's some good luck, man. West Coast living. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what do I have any? I don't know. This is hard for me because I guess I'm thinking more about theorists and not about school. Like, I don't, I don't mm, think that mm -hmm. there's just one that you can be like, mm, I'm, I'm going to be a Piaget teacher or I'm going to be a, right. a, a Reggio inspired teacher, whatever it might be. I think we mm -hmm. get into problems when we try and um, isolate theories like that. Yeah. Um, why am I drawing a blank? I mean, I, uh, it's, it wasn't a school, but it was a project that Rebecca, oh my God, what's her name? Markin did. Tell me the rest. Well, I have to look, tell a story or something while I look, or we can pause recording while I look. To me, history of Reggio is really important to developing teachers. And I know we like, oh, Reggio, we put it yeah. up on this. But the way that it was founded and what it lived through. Yes. The whole thing burned down to the ground 20 yeah. years after they opened it. They like, built the new building with bricks from the blown up buildings. Yeah. In the war and just completely redesigned. Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I think that's true. That it, uh, But it has to be like 
deeply investigated. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like not just go to a Reggio training at a conference somewhere because we lose so much when we Americanize it. Yeah. Um. So I think that's true. I actually, I was just reading something. I don't remember what it was. It was a book that I started and didn't finish. And the the whole idea was now that COVID, now that we've lived through COVID, because apparently it's over um, in time for this book to have been written <laughs> and published already. Um, but this is our, this is like our Reggio moment. This is when we could completely redefine. And instead we're um, complaining about learning loss and crying about um, uh, these, the, all the, the deficits of the COVID kids instead mm -hmm. of saying, oh, maybe we should look at how we were doing things and why it didn't work. Mm -hmm. But like, also don't forget the time frame here. Reggio initially opened in what, the 40s? It was right after World War II. Mm -hmm. So it would have been late 40s. And the, the first big... Reggio expose in the U.S. was 1996. Yeah, and they brought a whole art exhibit that traveled yeah. children's museums. So, like, we've got some time. <laughs> yeah, we've got some time to say, wait, you know, we don't really care about learning loss, or the ones of us that are—that's true—are doing the work now. It's not going to be recognized till after our lifetimes, Heather. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Sorry. Fine. Rebecca Marcon. Hold on. I have to find her. Uh, Angie Play. Oh, gonna be yes, on my list definitely. That... Absolutely. Um, From a... Because it's I... not even the school. It's like the impact of what they're trying to mm -hmm. do. Yeah. The whole context. Yeah. I'm going to have to give up on this one because... Um... Oh, I can Google it here. Hold on. Okay, so I found it. Rebecca Markin or Marcon or Mark Marcon, I don't know how to say it. M-A-R-C-O-N. Did a study. She was with the University of North Florida. And um, the article I'm looking at is called, um, which is just open access, Moving Up the Grades, Relationship Between Preschool Model and Later School Success. And um, I can't read this abstract. It's so tiny. And everyone's an looking at me abstract? now. There's an abstract at the beginning of the thing. But it's an abstract. It's abstract, abstract. because I can't read it. Mm -hmm. um, it's a follow-up study of children who began school at four years old. Was conducted to examine the influence of three different preschool models on later school success. Um, they were studied again in year five as they prepared to leave the primary uh, grades. Um, by the end of their sixth year in school, children whose preschool experiences had been academically directed earned significantly lower grades compared to children who had attended child-initiated preschool classes. Children's later school success appears to have been enhanced by more active child initiated early learning experiences their progress may have been slowed by overly academic preschool experiences that introduced formalized learning too early for most children's developmental status did you did i forward you the great bomb that got dropped in our so. favor it was a good bomb i did right i don't know um that i think it happened last week 
I've been ignoring the nerd chat except for sharing poop stories and memes. Excellent. Because my brain gets overwhelmed by all the smart people having conversations in there. <laughs> okay, I'm scrolling up. I'm scrolling up. Where is it? Because there's some great research that came out that is very supportive of this argument. Mm -hmm. Mm. Association between and development of school enjoyment and general knowledge. Oh, you did send me that article and I haven't looked at it yet. Yeah. Ooh, that's going to be our next discussion, maybe. In the Society for Research and Child Development. Yep. I want to, I won't unpack it too much, but it's like, <laughs> guess what? If you enjoy school when you're little, that stays with you. More than <laughs> you have to like going to this place you have right. to go to every day for Shocking. the next 18 years of your life. Shocking. Weird. Yeah. Um, I'm, yeah. And the stupid thing is that that kind of argument is not going to change policymakers and funders minds as much as their kindergarten readiness scores went through the roof. Um, but it does. Yeah. That's where I think we need to find this trifecta of yeah. here's the empirical research. Yeah. Here's the sociological research. Here's uh -huh. the like, I don't know what what's the other there's got to be a third because two isn't enough to swing the vote what'd you say already empirical Acu empirical sociological. sociological i don't know i don't know either i'm drawing a blank someone who's listening third, right? will put it in the comments it's not just, yeah there aren't only those two ways of doing right. research right right uh you um, know what else it needs to be <gasps> what it needs to be like crazy deep art like let's get the nea on board to like put <laughs> fund some really intense teaching as art grants oh okay yeah how do you measure impact of art do you um that's carol probably knows that answer let's get we need carol we need carol for the rest of this episode so like <laughs> really if you think about it yeah if all three of those things align then it is real easy to say this is the direction we need mm -hmm. to go. Mm -hmm. Well, right Heckman now we are only drawing from one. Hmm? Heckman would have to redo all his graphs. Mm. Oh dear. <clears throat> yeah, and and Warren Buffett too, probably. Oh dear. <laughs> all right. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else? Anything else? Uh, let me pull up my annotated article over here yeah, again yeah i'm looking through my highlights this is everybody's favorite part of the episode yeah where we end, go when through, i start like, looking uh, through my what highlights what is that thing that i wanted to say yes. that i forgot to say that we better say yeah 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 um here's my final thought on okay. the matter let's find it um it is incredibly rare to find any human that can balance administrative teaching theory and sanity and managed <laughs> to share anything that they've learned with the world uh -huh. okay how lucky we are to have this article yeah that combines several of those together yeah and i i think i mean i accidentally found it when i was doing research for something else and mm -hmm. uh and then i was like i can't believe that this hasn't been more widely discussed mm -hmm. or circulated I remember when it came out, I was like, yep, 
all us teachers know. We're like, yeah, yep. Yeah. That's what we say every day. <laughs> yep. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's wrap it up. Then you can finish That's eating your good. graham crackers. I can I've only got cough drop um, going. I've only got this square unit block left of my grams. That's all that's left. <laughs> and this bite in my hand. Yeah. Um, uh, is it the honey gram? Yeah. Yeah. I also There's like, no I enjoy a good cinnamon gram. I do. I also yeah. like a chocolate gram that has some mm. nostalgia for me. Sure. The cinnamon, well, the cinnamon gram is nostalgia for me because in kindergarten on mm. Fridays, we mm-hmm. got chocolate milk and cinnamon graham crackers for snack Ooh, instead of white milk decadent. And, and the honey. But uh, mm-hmm. I'm just mm-hmm. kind of overall a graham cracker fan. So listeners mm-hmm. can weigh in on the graham cracker mm-hmm. debate. Mm-hmm. Please, is let it us a cracker or is it a cookie? You right, know? that's right? really where we're at. Right. So, fuck everything else we've talked about. <laughs> Grams. Let's get do in the some comments. Empirical research. Yeah, get in the comments and Let's discuss do some highbrow art issue. about grams together. Oh, and Judy's calling. Okay, good time to stop. To okay, thanks, Tiffany, and thanks, thanks everybody for listening to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. <laughs> and that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.